The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Can you hear me okay? Is the volume a little low? So, um, some people shared um, a little bit about some discussions that happen in the groups that have to do with um, kind of how do you balance acceptance and not liking um, some of the things that are going on in the political climate. And Kate wanted to um, share um, about a talk that's happening tonight at Stanford. Yeah, um, one of the several of us in our group were trying to find that sweet spot between um, letting go of personal stress and still being engaged in the world. Um, at tonight at seven fifteen, I think you want to be there by seven. Uh, at CMEX Auditorium at Stanford, Jack Cornfield and Congressman Tim Ryan are going to be talking about Ryan's book, Healing America, which is on the role of stillness quiet contemplation and mindfulness in healing today's fractured civil discourse. Um, I, you do need to go online and sign up for it because it's free, but you, you need to you know reserve. I'm sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So the book's out there, Healing America. Okay. Thank you, Kate. Thank sorry. You. So um, bring attention to your... Awareness, your body, your the activity of the, you know, break, and maybe even just this announcement, and just notice how you're doing right now. And you know, is there any suffering inside of you? Is there any pain or hurt or struggle that needs a little care? And if so, can you offer yourself some care? Just acknowledging, appreciating the attention, the warmth. And then let's take a deep breath in. And with the exhale, letting go of anything that is not needed in this moment. So I'm going to talk about loving kindness, which is essentially... Uh, the wish for others to be happy and compassion which is essentially the wish for all beings to be free from suffering including ourselves Um, so while renunciation or letting go is the antidote to lust and I would say that um, one thing that is helpful for me when I think about letting go of lust I think about the lust that causes harm to myself or others like you know sort of if I really think through the, what I'm lusting after if I think about the effects of following through and it results in harm to myself or others it's easier to let go it's a little bit like picking up a cup that's too hot it's too hot I don't want to burn myself right um, so here's a fun quote from Kristen Neff and Chris Germer's um, book on mindful self-compassion so this idea of loving kindness being about wishes for happiness for others and compassion being sort of wanting people to be free from suffering there's this quote the sentence struck me when loving kindness bumps into suffering and stays loving 
That's compassion. Sweet, right? I like that. Um, and in terms of working with ill will and um, kind of the hatred or the aversion and, and harming energies, um, it is said that these two practices, loving kindness and compassion, have the effect of blocking out the harmful effects of hatred or ill will. And um, it's because it's said that love and, and uh, hate cannot coexist at the same time in the mind. And so the idea is that we want to strengthen the roots of um, compassion and loving kindness that are, exist within ourselves. And just to say that um, these are not considered to be emotions, but rather ways of being. Compassion and metta are, are acts. It's, it's, it's not um, being something, it's doing something. Um, and, you know, so it's a, there's a progressive, developmental, gradual path. This is, boy, the Buddha is amazing because pretty much everything that he teaches is progressive and developmental. It's just amazing, you know. You just see it so much. And this is no different. And so um, it's really important to not have an um, impatience around this. That, um, you know... Well, I'm going to talk about this, but it is normal for hatred and ill will to come up. These things are normal. We need them. We don't have to get rid of them, right? There, you know, there's various aspects. I won't say we need to kill people, but, but aversion is important. So the way that we, um, we do this, we cultivate it gradually, is we start with this cognitive, this intellectual, this very reflective practice. We bring to mind this intention, these thoughts, these words like, you know, may I or may you be safe? May I be, may you be happy, healthy, at ease? And there's a lot of very fun um, variations of these practices. And one, this is one of those practices in this, in this tradition that actually you get to play with. You know, you get to kind of work on creating your own phrases or finding somebody who has some unique phrases that really resonate for you. But we start here. We start with these, this cognitive, intellectual you know, a passage, a line, an intention. And then over time, what will happen is on its own, there'll be the arising of an emotional or devotional feeling that comes so it's not something, it's like you, you don't tell yourself, feel happy right now, Tanya. <laughs> you, know? you know? Sometimes you can do things to support happiness arising, but, you know, they, it needs, I mean, this is something that needs to come into being. It needs to respond to conditions. And loving kindness and compassion are no different. So um, we start with these phrases and we start to incline ourselves towards seeing things in this way. And, you know, um, at some point, oh, you might notice a little light spring of warmth inside bubbling up, you know, or, oh, wow, that was moving, you know. And like Liz's sort of story was that, um, you know, she was doing these phrases bouncing back and forth between herself and her coworker, and then there was this, like, moment, oh, <laughs> of recognition 
of seeing herself in this other person, right? So, and then the, the third part of this becomes volitional, determined action, behavioral, where we might sort of, okay, I'm going to do this act because it's a kind act. For example, I picked up this practice of wanting to offer pedestrians a real sense of safety. I took up this real practice of saying, okay, if I'm driving and there are people in or near the sidewalk, I want to stop sooner. I don't want to come up, you know, and do my California stop. I'm going to back, back it up, Tanya, back it up, slow down, approach slower, give more space, be gracious, you know, gesture. You know, this was a real offering for me. This was a, a volitional, behavioral practice that brought loving kindness into the world, right? And sometimes there was a spark. Sometimes it was the eye contact with the person and this just real feeling of appreciation that respond. you know, like, wow, I got a little flush, you know, a little rush of this warmth, you know. And, and sometimes they didn't even look at me and it didn't seem to matter to them one way or another. And so... You know, whatever warmth there was, it was my own, just acknowledging my own intention. There's a simile where the Buddha talks about, you know, that we fill up the bucket of mindfulness drip by drip, drop by drop. Right? It's just one drop at a time. It's just we just have to be patient. And and that there can be this culminating kind of crescendo or multi-dimensional experience of loving kindness where all three of these elements kind of come together and we have a confirmed sense this sort of oh yes this works right this right? this has power in it but you know that won't happen every time and it won't happen right away likely maybe it will but you know it's, it, and we can approach it sort of working from whatever's accessible and available for us. Thich Nhat Hanh has a really beautiful kind of loving kindness practice with all these amazing phrases, and, and he really um, emphasizes working with each phrase in all these different ways. And so here's a quote from him He says, The willingness to love is not yet love. The willingness to love is not yet love. We look deeply with all our being in order to understand. We don't just repeat the words or imitate others or strive after some ideal. The practice of love meditation is not auto-suggestion. We don't just say, I love myself, I love all beings. Uh, We look deeply at our body, our feelings, our perceptions, our mental formations, and our consciousness And he says in just a few weeks, our aspiration love will become a deep intention. Love will enter our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And we will notice that we have become peaceful, happy, and light in body and spirit. Safe and free from injury and free from anger, afflictions, fear, and anxiety. You know, these... um, There are a bunch of programs for cultivating compassion. Did you know that? There are, Stanford has a um, C-Care program, compassion cultivation training, like it's a multi-week, couple-month-long program. Kristen Neff and um, 
Chris Germer have a mindful self-compassion training that they do, a, re- a residential, like, week-long, and sometimes they do these day-longs. <laughs> There's something called compassion-focused therapy by, that was developed by Paul Gilbert. We've got happy hour at IMC. You know, there's all kinds of things, but, you know, this is a training. It's a training we undertake. It doesn't, it's not some magical thing that happens. It's something we actually undertake. We have to cultivate. And it grows in stages. And so, um, and different people have different experiences of this, but Chris Germer and Kristen Neff um, in their self-compassion work, have noticed these, these stages, and I think they were very relevant, so I wanted to share them. Often the first stage is, is called striving, right? It's full of effort, hope, and this elevating sense, right? It can be, we can, we can feel a lot of enthusiasm about this practice and start to use it pretty much everywhere and find it quite useful and elevating in our mood and energy. And at some point, we'll experience some disillusionment. <laughs> That's phase two. It's, our infatuation is usually followed by some degree of disappointment at some point when we realize it's not the answer to all of our problems and that really we're still the same person we were in the beginning. And then we've got to, this is where the work and the rubber hits the road and we have to just keep practicing. We can't give up. No matter how averse of a person we are, no matter how tough the situation is, we keep practicing. We think about the the phrases, the intellectual, we think about the behavioral, and when the emotion rises up, we can appreciate it, even if it's a tiny bit. And eventually we come to this practice and, and of place of feeling radical acceptance. And this is that place where we accept ourselves and we accept our life and we accept what's happening that we can really embrace it. And here's a quote by Jack Kornfield that sort of kind of talks about this experience. The point of spiritual practice isn't to perfect yourself, but to perfect your love. Not to perfect yourself or your world, but to perfect your ability to love in it. Another uh, way to think about it is I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay. (laughs) So um, Liz shared a little bit about um, her experience. And uh, one time I had this experience where an image came to mind. I was meditating and um, it was like... All the things in the mind kept circulating like they were in a fountain. Like a fountain circulates water. And a lot of what was coming up uh, when I started my practice, guess what brought me to practice? Suffering, dukkha, yes. So early on, a lot of what came up was just difficulty, 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 pain, 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 pain. And at some point, once I started to practice loving kindness and bring a lot of compassion to my own suffering and and just what I, the stuff I wasn't liking and oh, oh yeah, all this stuff, right? What, what, started, what I started to notice was it was like, oh, these things were coming up again. But the flavor, the, the feeling of them had been transforming slowly over time. It was like the 
offering of these phrases and this compassion was infusing the water of the mind with this sweetness, with this love. And I could start to see and feel how this imp- over years, this, this was having an impact. And you know what's really fascinating is later, later on in my life, in neuroscience research, what I learned about memories is that memories are not fixed things. They change. And the memories are changed by what you bring to them when you remember them. So we have this amazing mind and this capacity to bring love, care, wisdom to our past, to our suffering. And as we do that, if we allow space for that, when that memory is stored again, a little bit of that might be infused in that memory. And then it comes up again and a little more and it comes up again and a little more. So every we have so many opportunities when our suffering arises to start this process of infusing this goodness for our own well-being. Because this practice is for us. It benefits others, but we do it for us. So, you know, maybe sometimes we might think, why does it take so much effort? Why do I have to work so hard? Shouldn't this be easy? Well, some interesting things. You know, compassion is natural. It's a natural thing. It exists. It's possible. But without cultivation, it doesn't compete very well against our drive systems and our threat systems. It just doesn't stand a chance if we just don't take care of it. It needs care. The drive system and the threat system, see, these are the systems that make us make sure we get food, we procreate, and that we defend ourselves against harm, right? These are necessary for our survival. And the way that we've evolved from what we understand from a scientific perspective, a psychological perspective, is that, you know, these things are first online. They're automatic. They're going to pop up. But the cultivation or the, the compassionate system needs to be tended to. It's a fire that needs to be stoked. It needs wood. It needs our breath, fuel. It needs connection. It needs us to turn toward others and turn toward ourselves. It's often under-accessed and underdeveloped. Now, one really interesting thing is that while the threat system and the drive systems are pretty automatic, guess what system is the best at calming them down? They're really helping us relax and be content and at ease. The compassionate system, compassionate emotions. And another reason it takes effort is because it can be hard to sustain it because threats keep happening, don't they? Or perceived threats. 
This is the way of life. Nobody said that we don't have to have and encounter difficulties. We just have to keep remembering to turn back, turn back when we can, turn back. The other thing about it is that hostility or ill will is very sticky. When we get our, when our mind is filled with hostility or ill will, it's so convinced it's right. Oh my goodness. It's just going to bunker on down in there and like put up the fences and pull out the guns and do all this stuff, right? And it just is like, and then the nervous system gets into this, you know, activated stance and like, no, 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 I can't relax. No, 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 that's not okay. In fact, you know, once we start getting into thoughts of ill will and aversion, then our nervous system will respond and we stop breathing deeply. And guess what happens when we stop breathing deeply? The blood has less oxygen and the system is set up so that that blood goes to our major muscles so we can fight or run and not to our brain where we can access the capacity to access the system. So we're biological beings, right? We have this body and it has its own intelligence. So we need to work with that intelligence. Another reason that it can be difficult um, to start to cultivate and spread this practice throughout our lives is that we can be afraid of compassion. We actually can be uncomfortable with it. And we can be uncomfortable with giving ourselves compassion or we can be uncomfortable with getting compassion from others or we can be uncomfortable giving compassion. And there's a lot of really good reasons for this. Just maybe think about your own experiences of feeling betrayed, of having somebody be nice to you and then do something jerk-like to you. Or, you know, where you gave a lot to somebody and you gave and gave and gave and, you know, gave too much. You didn't pay attention to your boundaries and you got hurt, right? Or maybe we didn't get it. We didn't get enough kindness and compassion growing up. So it's really uncomfortable and it activates the threat system. These things, you know, can really happen for us. So it's important to notice for yourself, what's easiest for me? What's the gateway that's easiest? Giving, receiving, um, or getting? What's the hardest for me? And be gentle with yourself around this. Be gentle, gentle, gentle. Be curious about why it might be hard for you. This is dukkha. This is suffering. This is a, a, a gateway to liberation, actually, to start to notice where we're stuck, where we're frozen, where things can't move and flow freely. And it's not that we need to take a big thing and plug and push it all out. And it's, It needs tenderness. It's got to soften and relax. It needs its own time. It's that we, how we bring our awareness to it, our care to it is what will help it relax. Another um, thing that happens that makes this a little bit difficult at times is the natural resistance we feel to any suffering. There's a natural response to something being uncomfortable that just happens and we want to brace ourselves, so we resist, right? So I like to sort of notice, oh, when there's tension or resistance, it's a good indicator to me that there's something, you know, 
in my body form, right? So I'm noticing tension is a good indicator for me to sort of say, oh, is there something here I'm resisting? I don't like this meditation. I don't like this practice. I don't like what I'm hearing right now. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, okay. Another um, concept that comes out of the mindful self-compassion work is this idea of backdraft. That um, when there's a fire and in a house, let's say, and they break open a window or a door, there's an experience of the fire getting stronger because the, all the oxygen rushes in. And it's said that when we bring compassion to our pain, it's like that. That when we open the door and start to offer the compassion, that the pain is seen and sears up and intensifies. So it's important to know this so that if it's occurring to you and for you, that you understand that this is part of the healing process. It's part of, part of nature's process. And we have to know how to take care of ourselves in this, to do things in small bits, to, to take care of ourselves, right? Backtrack can be experienced mentally, emotionally, and physically. So mentally, it'd be like, I'm all alone, I'm a failure, I'm unworthy in response to loving loving kindness phrases for ourselves, right? Emotionally, we might notice shame, fear, or grief coming up. Physically, we might have body memories, aches or pains come up. It can show up in all these ways. Backdraft itself is not inherently problematic. It's really that resistance I talked about, the resistance to pain that kind of interferes. So really pay attention to when you feel yourself resisting. It's a really important sign that something needs a little care and attention here. So if fear or pain come up for you or the backdraft, here's just a, a few simple things that you can do. One is label the experience. Oh, that's what Tanya said. This is backdraft, right? Just name it, right? Identify it, turn toward it. And then you can just sort of use mindfulness practice, sort of name the strongest emotion and use a kind voice. Ah, this is grief, or ah, this is anger, or ah, this is hurt. And then explore where it resides in your body. So move away from the story and into the felt experience. And if it feels like too much, just redirect your attention. Choose a neutral part of your body to pay attention to. Follow the breath. Maybe open your eyes. Maybe choose to go do something to care for yourself. Yeah? Make sense? Take a deep breath. Yeah. So we're going to do small groups again. We're going to break up into groups of about five. 
And take a minute to, as you move into your groups, just feel the movement in your body with care. Think about the fact that you're moving together in this reflection of what loving kindness and compassion are. And bring that with you as you take your seat in this group. Is that okay? All right. Please find your groups. need more people in your group maybe you can raise your hand and sit with how many people you need just put up two fingers if you need two people one finger that could use one more person who else needs one more raise your hand high great thank you all right so if you haven't already done so please go around the circle and share your name I know you can see your name tags but maybe maybe share your name and as you share your name See if you can say it with a voice that feels loving, kind, and compassionate. All right, please begin. All right. So here's your first question. You're going to go around the circle one at a time, and you're going to share a short example of an experience you've had with loving kindness or compassion practice. And just sort of notice if it was more intellectual, emotional, or behavioral. So just you, there might be time for just even, we might only get around the circle one time, but, but maybe we'll be able to go around continuously. But just sharing like one experience that is either particularly perplexing or moving to you about... Um, sharing loving kindness or compassion. Is that clear? No? Okay. So when we experience loving kindness and compassion, we can experience it very intellectually. It's just that we were having thoughts of may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be well. We may have emotional experiences. We may feel devotional energies come up in our, you know, like softness, warmth, love that comes up. Or we may just, like I was giving the example of this driving and giving pedestrians room, we're we're practicing behaviorally exhibiting loving kindness, right? So please share one example each of an experience with loving kindness in any of those formats, in any of those ways, or a combination of those ways. Is Is that clear now? Okay. Please begin. And I'd like to read my favorite book to you. 
It's called My Heart by Corrine Lucan. My heart is a slide. My heart can be closed or opened up wide. Some days it's a puddle. Some days it's a stain. Some days it is cloudy and heavy with rain. Some days it's tiny, but tiny can grow and grow and grow. There are days it's a fence between me and the world. Days it's a whisper that can barely be heard. There are days it is broken, but broken can mend. And a heart that is closed can still open again. My heart is a shadow, a light, and a guide. Closed or open, I get to decide. Thank your partners. And please make your way back to a circle. So I more have a witness of being a graduate of Stanford's Compassion Cultivation Training, um, which I love so much I did it twice, and I'll do it a third time. Mm. Um, And so I just wanted to share that that... um, that was a really meaningful program to me that brought together people from all walks of life. Beautiful. And I highly recommend it. And it created a practice for me that will never end. It's mm. great. And if you don't mind um, just getting the microphone to the next person, um, that would be great. So is anybody else willing to share? And by the way... Um, I forgot to record the second question that you reflected on, which was any difficulty or support that you found in doing loving kindness and compassion practice. So reflections can be about that as well, or questions. One of the people in our group shared um, a commitment to visiting somebody in a prison that's just a son's friend. And uh, what came up in me in that is the persistence that we have to have with the practice when it's easy, when it's not. And that while it may or may not show benefits now, you know what what actions and what steps are being taken in place are going to be potentially profound in the future thank you jane i have a logistical question um as far as incorporating the practice 
do you recommend do you tag it on to like a mindfulness daily practice should it be it's all and i get that the answer might be like whatever either of those but (laughs) if you recommend having it like as its own separate practice or more of situational like right now i could really use this you know um, in a difficult moment what do you think is the best way you know you've just named three great ways to work with it (laughs) yeah and um that and each of those ways um, sometimes you'll find it useful to devote a session to mindfulness, to devote a session to practicing loving kindness, to integrate it as you go about your day um, separately. And sometimes you'll find they, they uh, flow together a little bit. You'll be being mindful, for example, of something that's coming up in you while you're doing your sitting practice. And then you find there's, a, there's room for a moment of compassion for that. And then, you know, maybe the mindfulness continues. So allow it, you know, try both. Try separate, dedicated practices. It can be enormously supportive to have a frequent practice of loving kindness. Since I started with that little way 15 years ago of doing it between me and my colleague, I've done it uh, every week, at least three times a week, as its own practice, in addition to mindfulness. And that's been really amazing. Um, and, you know, it's up to each of you what really works for you. So, notice that. Thank you. You know, um, I'll just add, the, the, the Buddha's instructions are always, don't just believe what I say. Try it, try it out for yourself and find what works. So you had a lot of wisdom about these different ways. Try them out. See what works. Um, so I had a couple of questions. One is the um, <clears throat> when you were describing the uh, um, it's lust, you know, the three. But then when you went into more dis- um, discussion about them, they sound like the hindrances, very much so. So I wondered how that is that what what they are sort of. And then likewise, I guess it's sort of coming. I'm trying to understand. Um, if I'm looking at intention and I'm moving into these places, sort of what's underneath, and we talked about, you know, it could be from when you're little, and, you know, is the practice of loving kindness a way to love yourself or love the situation through that? And how, and then that affects intention? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm kind of looking for the thread, and maybe I missed that. Maybe something was You know, um, I was really interested. Tanya and I each had a different way of of talking about this. And I was talking to you about just applying mindfulness again and again to whatever comes up. And she referred to that too, you know, just allowing that there's going to be ill will, there's going to be hating some things, there's going to be lust or greed that comes up. And, and one way is observing over and over again. So there are all these different skillful means in Buddhist practice. That's one. You just observe, observe, and it starts to let go of you. So it, maybe I, in saying letting go, I was using too much of an active verb kind of feeling. Actually, it can let go of you. You can see something so many times you're just sick of it. You're just, you're so done with it that you, your mind and heart naturally move on. So that's one set of skillful means. 
loving kindness as a formal practice, compassion practice as a formal practice, can also start to loosen that up. So, you know, there's no, there's not necessarily one way in Buddhism. There's all these different ways. I love that you found the relationship or you started to see a relationship between this, these three, and the hindrances. And um, you can maybe do a little integration. We can do a little integration of those right now. Um, Yes, lust and greed, aversion or ill will, you know, and then this third, hatred. Um, Hatred can result in restlessness. Um, Ill will can result in sleepiness, you know, that sloth and torpor thing. Any of these could result in self-doubt or doubt in the practice or doubt, you know, in general. So there's a tight, there's a really close relationship. And you've been teaching the hindrances. Um, so, you know, what would you like to add to that? Uh, you're welcome to t- come to class on Wednesday night. But um, uh, the, the Buddha does repeat certain things in different lists, right? But he has... He has named these three as as wrong wrong actions: lust, ill will, and hatred. So um, I think he's highlighting them, you know, in this way. So they are hindrances, and they're also um, particularly harmful for us to follow. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. I just noticed. I listened to the Gill talk, and yeah. I noticed it. With he approached it differently. And um, then when you start talking, I went, oh, those sound like the hindrances. And so I was just kind of looking at them. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things I love about this practice, and I love about, you know, you listen to Gil's talk, you hear this, you hear all kinds of different perspectives from different people, and that provides all these different lenses. I mean, hearing from your group, probably you heard a lot of different lenses. And then, you know, you can find your own experience in those lenses. So keep looking at the relationship between hindrances and these intentions, like these things that that Mm -hmm. bubble up the hindrances. Thanks for those questions. Room for a couple more questions or comments, inspirations that you're taking away, difficulties that you're taking away. Great, got two people. Let's try this mic, see if it's still got juice. Hi, my name is Nancy. Um, I find in the last, uh, this session and the last week's session, was that last week? Last month. <laughs> last month. Um, uh, uh, getting very emotional when people have been sharing in my group. And I'm wondering if that's the backdraft that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That was my only question. Yeah, hearts get moved, you know. I don't know because I don't know what your, how intense it is for you. But, you know, I, I don't know. I find it very moving when I hear people share at this level and, the questions we're asking you to share about are pretty touching, really. So, your heart's healthy. Yeah, the emotions could be related to some of these impulses in yourself. They could be compassion. They could be kindness. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed, too, that um, in some of the meditations that I've done, Mm -hmm. it also, I end up being very tearful. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily sad. Yeah. 
I, I'm not sure where it's coming from, so I'm just sort of noticing it, and it's just like, okay. Great. 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 That's a nice way to hold it. It's just, oh, here it is. We don't always have to have the answer to what is it or why is it, right? Thank you. And then behind, behind you. you. Uh, just an observation. Thank you so much for pointing out the 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 topic around the drive system and the th- threat system mm-hmm. dominating as I think the compassion system mm-hmm. needs to be stoked and needs to be sustained. Right? Yes. Yes. It it really clicked very well in me. Reason is when I started to do loving kindness amongst the people I love and like, I had a one sensation. Then I started to cross the line and go into some neutral people and people don't like. I felt fake sensation, uh-huh. <laughs> right? But that started to diffuse yeah. over time, yeah. right? I fully understand your comment around it needs to be sustained yes. until uh, I kind of uh, train my heart. Yes, that's really what I got out of it. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing yes. that. Yes, yes, it's really. It can be that moment of click is quite powerful. I, I use this practice on, I picked a neutral person. It's really interesting to do this with a neutral person, meaning somebody that maybe you see regularly but you don't know personally. And so it could be like, you know, a person that you walk by in your apartment building or it could be a person in a shop or, you know, just somebody you kind of know but don't really know. And I took this practice up to somebody I passed every day on my way into work and at first, you know, I really didn't I didn't know this person's name. I didn't really care if I knew this person's name. You know, it was fine. It was like, you know. And then one day, it just started like, oh, I started to be like, oh, there she is, you know. <laughs> and, you know, so it just really, I still do it to this day. It's years now, and it just um, brings a lot of joy, and I feel happy when I think about her. It's like such a gift to myself. <laughs> And I know her name now. (laughs) So thank you all for uh, this day of practice. And, you know, during the month, as has been in the past uh, couple months, you'll get weekly prompts, you know, things you can reflect on, practices you can work with. And um, above all, as Tanya said, be gentle. As I said, you know, just allow it to be gradual. Take time. Let these things bubble up and you'll notice whatever layer you're working on. You don't have to strive to work on all the layers at once. Just keep noticing and allow, allow whatever, you know, the the skillful ones, the unskillful ones, just allow yourself to notice what bubbles up. So maybe we could take just a couple minutes to sit and settle a little bit, relax into how you are right now. Noticing how the body is, how the heart is, how the mind is, and allowing it.
may these practices continue to unfold towards freedom for you and for the other people in your life as the effects of your gentleness towards yourself flows outward. May all beings be at peace. Thank you for your kind attention and your practice.